0: Hi there, I'm Bunny Terry, and you're listening to the I Love New Mexico podcast. Whether you're a native New Mexican who's lived here for your entire life, or you're just considering a visit, this episode is for you. Join us as we share a lot of New Mexico stories, talk about all things New Mexico, and include topics like what's magical here where you ought to visit, what's happening, and the things you absolutely cannot miss in the land of enchantment. We're excited that you're here and we can't wait to show you what an amazing place New Mexico is because let's face it, I love New Mexico. One of the coolest things about this podcast is that I get to meet people that I never would have met otherwise. And I get to talk to people about their passions and especially people who are really passionate about different um, scenes and venues and what's going on in New Mexico. So um, this morning, there's no exception. In fact, it's uh, I'm talking to somebody who has one of the coolest. I just told him when we were talking offline, one of the coolest non paying jobs in New Mexico, but wow, does it pay off in benefits um, that can't be quantified? I'm talking to Chris Jackson, who is also known as Stoutmeister. And for those of you who know Chris, you're already envious of what he does all the time. But um, for those of you who don't, I'm going to let you tell folks who you are, Chris, and how you started this platform that you started, which is amazingly cool, especially for folks who love breweries and craft beer in New Mexico.
1: Yeah. So, um, it was background too. I moved, I I grew up here in in New Mexico. I graduated from Sandia high school in 96. Um, and I moved back here in 08 and, you know, old, old friends introduced me to new friends. And one night we all went out for one of my newer friends, bachelor parties, and we did a brewery crawl. And it's 2011. So back then, you could literally try to hit every brewery in one night. We got to six of eight. And um, how quaint, eight breweries. God, that was easy. Uh, (laughs) You know, now there's five times that number in Albuquerque. Um, But we, we went around all these breweries and stuff. And at the end of the night, we were kind of just sitting there, me and my friend John. And he said, you know, I feel like we missed something. You know, we, we missed the, the two breweries we didn't get to. We missed a great beer. And I said, well, we never know when a great beer is on unless you go there. You have to go to the brewery to actually find out what's happening. Breweries were not using social media. They were not reaching out and really um, getting the word out. They, they were just relying on word of mouth and people coming in and that sort of thing. And and I said, you know, as more breweries are going to open, this is going to get harder and harder. Because I mean, it was already hard enough to hit, you know, you, you go to a brewery a day. You're not hitting everyone in a week back then. Nowadays, you could try to go to a brewery every day of the month and you wouldn't hit all. Um, So we just decided there was a gap in news. Uh, And, you know, like most things, it took a while for us to actually get off our butts and do it. Um, I came up with the name Dark Side Brew Crew. That's not a Star Wars reference. I always have to point that out. So Disney doesn't sue me. Um, It was because we all like dark beers, stouts and porters. And we were all, you know, a bunch of metalheads and so we, all, we we were a lot of black anyway so we just called ourselves that and the idea was just to have a, a, div, a group of people write about the beer scene and that way rather than being one person it could be multiple voices um and we were gonna you know we were ambitious we were gonna do like oh you know weekly beer updates we we're gonna do you know interviews we we're gonna do like home brewing tutorials as if we knew anything back then um and so of our original group of seven there's about me and, uh, Franz, Brandon's still here, <laughs> but the other guys, you know, like life and careers and stuff kind of took them away. So we, I ended up having to add some other writers, uh, who I now count among my friends. And we, we we've never made a, a profit off this. We've just done it for, you know, whatever citizen bloggers for the good of the community. Um, it's just been a sense that, you know, even with breweries now using social media with 40 plus in Albuquerque and nearly 100 now in the state, um, it's hard for anyone to go around, you know, Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram or whatever and try and see everything that's happening. So we just wanted to still have that centralized news place. And I think because we, we made it about news, we didn't make it about our opinions. I mean, believe me, we're a bunch of opinionated, you know what's, but um, we just decided. Let's let's just treat it as a new site. We're just going to say the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, the how much, and and that kind of thing. And take the pictures, and we'll let the brewers and the brewery owners and staff members just tell us their stories. And uh, it's it's work Now we're we're uh, actually today is our eleventh anniversary. So
0: wow, well, cool. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad I get to talk to you uh, on that rather auspicious day. And and I want folks to know that you're not just talking now about Albuquerque breweries. I mean, you, um, mm-hmm. I and I looked at the list, and I didn't try to count. I mean, I first of all, I looked. This this is a great service. You do these posts about um, like who was open on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. You do really informational posts for somebody who's um, headed out to a brewery, wherever they are in New Mexico, right? I mean, it feels to me like it's a statewide
1: look. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you know, we, we try to be statewide. I mean, it's obviously hard for us to get down to like dry lands brewing in Lovington. Um, right. that's, that, that, that one's a bit, that, that one's usually a bit out of our reach, but uh, yeah, kind of everything uh, up and down sort of the central Rio Grande corridor, I-25, whatever you want going to call it. Um, you know, Luke, Luke lives in Santa Fe, so he's got that covered. Um, Reed started out writing for us, just kind of covering Bathtub Row in Los Alamos because yeah, he works for the labs and um, he, he lives out in Santa Fe now, but he still handles Bathtub Row and like the events they have up there. at Pa-Rito. Uh, But we do try to get out to, you know, I did a story on Comanche Creek Brewing and an Eagle Nest. Um, Luke usually goes up to Red River Oktoberfest uh, last year. Luke, Andrew, and I went to, um, like, Lost Hiker in Rodoso, Cloudcroft Brewing, Benito Valley, and Lincoln. Um, you know, we, we we do try to get outside of the, the two main metro areas where the beer is. Um, and it's, it's been fun to see the growth of those breweries, too, because, you know, even like 10 years ago, a lot of them were, well, there weren't very many of them, but um, they weren't producing the best beer because there was no competition. But as the Albuquerque and Santa Fe breweries distributed more and more and more, those breweries had to kind of raise their game because otherwise the bar down the street had better local beer than uh, than they did. So it's been, uh, it's, it's, it's been, it's been fascinating to see the, the evolution.
0: Well, and the other thing that's cool that I, that I saw on your site is that you're also saying what new brews they're introducing. I mean, I don't remember how many you talked about in that last blog post, but it was like, (laughs) Every brewery had something new coming out. Is that because it was seasonal or is that just how it works?
1: Uh, there is literally no pattern to it. It's, you know, even even the people working at the breweries will tell you, like, all of a sudden it's just like, you know, three beers go off. So put the next three on. And it, it's just sort of like that. And, and sometimes, yeah, they they just all surge in together. Um, these days, the most seasonal of, of the, the beers are the, the Oktoberfest beers, you know, the, the marisons and the Fest beers. And, and But even those kind of are spread out a bit. Uh, Santa Fe came out with theirs, I think, at the end of July. They sort of followed the Sam Adams pattern of super early release, uh, and then Le Cumbres was after that, and the rest of them. I mean, there were still there are still all those beers coming out, and in, even into October when technically Oktoberfest is over. So, but. Um, yeah, that that one, especially for us, you know, for us as, as beer drinkers, the right. the weekend beer is the most valuable thing we do. So we know, like, hey, where do you want to go? Uh, oh yeah, there's a new Doppelbach over at uh, XNova. Let's go check it out. Cool, let's go. You know, that that sort of settles the debate of like, okay, it's forty breweries. Which one do we pick today? It's it's uh, you know, we're because we're we're all about. My my mom finds it f- fascinating because I don't. I, I've always been a picky eater. But I'll try to spend any beer. like, I, I, you know, she's like, that drives me nuts. I'm like, sorry, mom.
0: <laughs> well, I will too. In fact, we go to breweries, and my husband will always choose something, and I'll say, bring me a flight. I just, I want to know. Well, I'm not a picky beer drinker at all, hmm. so I get it. Um, I'm. You wrote a book too. I want to talk about that. Um, hold <laughs> it up. Let's see what's the name of that tome.
1: It is Albuquerque beer. Duke City history on tap. The, the, the only thing I regret is I, I found out about six months after the book was published that there would have been an even better story if I'd gone back like three more years in history. I would have had an even better story to lead the book. The um, the first first southwestern brewery in Albuquerque. Um, about a year into their operation, they are on their second brewer. The second brewer went to a, a saloon one day, told everybody he'd been fired, but he was going to take his gun and go get what was his. And uh, so the brewery owner was told this. The landlord, who was a different person, was told this. They all showed up with their guns and had a old west shootout. What? Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the The brewer was killed. Um. And the uh, the brewery owner and the landlord basically went bankrupt trying to stay out of jail. So, what what year was this? Do you think? A- 1884. And where yeah. was the brewery? Uh, so that version of the Southwest Brewery would have been located on the west side of the train tracks, north of what is today Lomas. The second Southwestern Brewery, which opened in 1889 with a different group of people involved, um, it was called the Southwestern Brewery and Ice Company. Um, that one opened in 1889 on um, the east side of the tracks, but south of Lomas. Part of that building is still standing. If you've ever seen, it's owned by the Garcias, the, the automotive family. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's still there. It looks like almost like a castle. And, uh, it says on the train track side, uh, home of Glorietta beer. Cause you know, well, it was the Southwestern brewery. They, all their beers were labeled as Glorietta. And, uh, um, Glorietta basically, yeah, Glorietta. They just called them Glorietta lager, Glorietta Bach, Glorietta, you know, uh, Pilsner and all sorts of things back in the, you know, that brewery lasted from 1889 until about, um, You know when prohibition kicked in in uh, 1918 and but they probably stopped making beer in 1917 because new mexico actually enacted prohibition before the federal government and they they stayed open as an ice company until the 1970s and then um, most of the complex was burned to the ground by a fire in 1997 and only that building still stands so the the building is uh it's about four stories tall it was the tallest building in albuquerque at the time of its completion and the reason it was so tall was because the the brew house was inside it and it was gravity fed. They didn't have the pumps. So it was gravity fed with oil lighting in this dark place where somehow they churned out 30,000 barrels of beer a year. That's more beer than marble produces now on an annual basis. And only Santa Fe brewing now produces more than, uh, than this brewery that existed, you know, during the turn of the century and World War I and all of this stuff. so Wow,
0: I, w- I wonder what the population of the state was at that time. Somebody was drinking a lot of beer. Well,
1: they were shipping it because um, you know, they're on the rail lines. Okay. They would ship it out to California and uh, East Oklahoma. So, I mean, it really was the Southwestern brewery. It was the brewery of the Southwest. Uh, it wasn't till later that um, Coors up in uh, Golden, Colorado became bigger. And, um, you know, and of course, when Prohibition ended in 1933, everyone was like, are you going to start brewing beer again? And the owners of that time were like, no, because it had been sold to different owners who weren't involved in the brewing side of things. The original brewmaster, Jacob Loeb, had died in 1907 and then his successor, Otto von Diekmann. And yes, they were all Germans back then. Uh, he died in 1915. So he, he had died before. I, I, I never found out the name of who took over as the brewer, the, the head brewer, brewmaster, um, in the last couple of years that it was still here. But by that point, all of the original owners who had included this family from Pennsylvania, they, um, they had sold their shares to all local people. Like the, I believe the former mayor of Albuquerque was at that time was one of the owners of the brewery when, wow. uh, when prohibition hit.
0: So, do you, when you did your research, did you find that um, a specific group of immigrants brought beer making to New Mexico, or was it just sort of Germans, random? It was German. Germans,
1: yeah, almost yeah. entirely Germans. Almost every every brewery in the state back then. Um, you know the the breweries in Santa Fe, uh, Las Vegas, Deming. Uh, Little towns that don't exist anymore. You know the, the various mining camps. There was two army outposts that had their own breweries. Uh, just, just all these little places. It was almost entirely Germans that that uh, that brewed. Sometimes they were the owners, but sometimes they were just the brewers. Um, but yeah, I mean, back then, you know, and then you have to think about too. Like in, in beer parlance, loggers take longer, so ales for sales. But back then, you know, these were Germans. They brought loggers, and loggers have to be brewed at a colder temperature. Lagers have to take, you know, a month or more to, to to go through the fermentation process. And yet that's what they made. And you think about it like they had to be part of an ice company to have the ice to keep the beer cold. It's not like today where you have all those fancy glycol lines running along the ceiling to keep the beer and the fermenters cold. Um, yeah, you know, the, the reason... We kind of besides ales for sales, you know, the reason we switched over. I mean, that was a big reason. You know, craft brewing when it was first in its nascent stages in the '80s and '90s, um, they went to uh, you know more of like British ales and and that sort of thing because they were just faster to brew and, and easier to make. So it was uh, it was it was very much a shift away from where things were back in the day. But now it's it's interesting to see that loggers have again become hugely popular um, you know I, I knew the brewers are drinking them I'd sit there at the brewers after their shifts and they'd always ordered you know they don't they don't order IPAs they don't order imperial stouts uh, they don't order like kettle sours most of the time they 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 order a lager and that's that's how they they finish their day and um, I think gradually the public came to realize that too and I think it's just part of the, sort of the push of you know I want to have a beer but I don't want to be like afterwards going Oh man, that hit me hard. <laughs> right, yeah. right.
0: Um, yeah. so so I'm curious about the how the book. I mean, were you doing were you doing this other thing, and you got interested in the history, or did you always think I want to write this history book about beer?
1: I I had not really thought. You know, I I love history. Um, right. I had, my dad my dad's an ex army guy. He always instilled that love of history, but I never thought about. Writing a book. I never thought I'd, you know, I never thought, that, you know, my unpaid website would turn into me writing a book. But um, the 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 publisher um, here, which is uh, Arcadia Publishing, and the, through their sidearm, the History Press, uh, they they had done a book called New Mexico Beer with um, with John Stott, who's a professor who would sort of come down and he'd, he'd spend time in New Mexico. He actually works up in like Canada or something. But he, uh, they asked him, "Hey, we've done the state series, and we want to do city series of these books. Uh, would you want to do Albuquerque?" And he says, "No." He says, "No, no, no. Don't have time." He's like, "But I got, I got a guy. Contact this guy." And so they just offered me the gig, you know, which is the rarest thing in publishing. I'd, I'd taken like a publishing course, <laughs> yeah, like a, a graduate publishing course at UNM, and and the professor for that one was just like, you know, it's almost. He, he was the most disheartening person I've ever met. He just basically would, would tell people constantly through this class, you're not going to get published. You're not going to be a successful writer, you right? know, all this stuff. And we're like, dude, really? Come on. man." I mean, there's realism. And then there's just like Debbie Downer. But um, yeah, in this case, the publisher contacted me and said, would you like to write this book? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'd love to. And, um, you know, I, I knew about like the modern history from talking to the, the brewery owners and stuff, but I I definitely didn't know anything about, um, the history of brewing in New Mexico, you know, before prohibition, I didn't know, uh, John had actually missed in his book. He, he, he basically had it that from prohibition until Santa Fe brewing opened in 1989 or 88, um, that there were, there was no brewing and I went back and found there was a, a short lived brewery in Albuquerque in the 1930s. And, um, Right. I didn't dig deep enough on the name of the guy who who initially owned it. He was actually the son-in-law of Adolphus Bush, as in Anheuser Bush. Oh wow! Like that yeah, his son-in-law had and he started a brewery out in San Francisco, and then he he got bought out, and then he came to New Mexico, and he he essentially bought this brewery at auction. It, it had lasted a whopping six months. It was just um, called the New Mexico Brewing Company. It opened in 1930. 36, and he bought it in January of 37. I think the bank wanted like $25,000. He ended up paying like 7,000 bucks for the whole thing. And um, by 1938, they turned out 10,000 barrels of beer as the Rio, first Rio Grande Brewing Company. And then in 1939, the, the place went under. And so from 89 to, or 39 to 88, we didn't have any, any beer produced in New Mexico. Um, but that was kind of nas- a nationwide thing, really coming out of the depression and everything, and then with World War II. And, and the biggest thing was is just that the big beer companies in St. Louis and um, Milwaukee they owned the lion's share of the refrigerated boxcars that you needed to transport beer in this country. That's really where they cornered the market, and so they they became hyper dominant over the entire country, um, and. And yeah, no one, no one here made any beer until, uh, um, an entrepreneur named uh, Mike Levis. He used to hang out at the Boulder beer company in Colorado. And he was just like, why, why are there no breweries in New Mexico? Mm -hmm. And so he, he bought Boulder's original brew house and moved it into a, an unused horse barn on his property in Galisteo and created the Santa Fe Brewing Company. And, um, they, yeah, a lot, a, lot, a lot of great stories from, uh, from, that, from that place. Um, I, I really lucked out and met their original brewer, Brad Krause. Uh, he, Brad's semi-retired now. He, he lives in Panama. And I was out doing research for the book, and I was talking to the owner of Sierra Bl- Blanca Brewing mm-hmm. out in Moriarty. And he's like, oh, by the way, good timing. I said, oh, how's that? He's like, Brad Krauss is coming by today. I'm like, Brad, Panama, Brad is here today he's like yeah i told him you're gonna be here so he's, he, he's he's down to talk for like half an hour i'm like okay <laughs> wow. so super super lucked out because after brad left santa fe brewing he came down here and started the first rio bravo brewery and restaurant he was he was their brewer in that place that was down on central in the middle of downtown mm-hmm. and then he went on to um and the the important guy he hired as his second assistant brewer there is daniel Jaramillo. Who was just one of the cooks at the time. Daniel is now director of brewing operations at the Coombe. And and that's kind of the other fun thing is once you get into that, it's just like this guy worked here and this guy worked there and then here and then there and then you know you, you kind of get how all the brewers are very intertwined and in how they've come up through uh, through the industry in this town. And, and you know some of them obviously date back to the '90s and and then now you have all the young ones now who. You know, they'll cut their teeth at Marble or the Cumbre, and then they'll be at a, a head brewing gig somewhere else. And so it's, it's been really fascinating to see sort of that uh, developmental system of brewers in this town. And, you know, most people are like, oh, it's only been going on recently. I'm like, no, 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 You know, this guy hired this guy that you've been drinking beer from for years. So <laughs> That's so
0: cool. And, and, I, and I want folks to know that we're going to put a link to where they can find your book. So we'll want to, we'll, we'll want to put that on the podcast and I want to read it. But to, yes. so, so as you, our listeners always get in touch and say things like, well, okay, but I, I mean, they look for, you know, I'm, we're, you know, I'm going to be in Albuquerque for two days. Mm-hmm. You know, what should I not miss? And I know that you're just providing news, but if somebody was going to hit, i don't know i you know i like i like the idea isn't broken uh, isn't bow and arrow the one that's owned by two women
1: yes yes yeah. native american women
0: and and breweries were not um traditionally started by women were they i mean
1: no no um you have to go back to like ancient egypt to find when women wow. actually were the were the brewers and stuff uh yeah men men just kind of took it over and even to this day, uh, the you know, you go to a, like a, a good sized brewery you're there out front and you're going to be like, there's a lot of female employees. And yeah, a lot of them are working as servers and beer tenders and stuff. There's, there's a lot who work in like for the bigger breweries with those types of like an office staff, you know, they'll, you'll often find like general managers and, uh, like sort of PR, media relations, social media, um, sales team, you know, um, but it, on the brewing side, at the ownership level, there's, there's very few. There's very few it's still um and this is nationwide and it's it's a white male dominated industry at the ownership level and and really at the brewery on the brewing side of thing, most head brewers and brewmasters are white guys um but that's that's it's changing it's you know it's it's slowly slowly changing um you know you can you can talk about all the different reasons it was economic um you know just where breweries were located initially you know you look think about portland oregon is it's pretty white um but i think down, down here in in new mexico it's it's actually i find our you know i've been out of state to a lot of breweries our breweries are far more diverse than um than others and i and i think there's a sense of well yeah of course they are albuquerque is diverse you know so there's there's a lot of diversity at, at the brewing level i I know there's still a push though to get more women in, involved really in the hands-on brewing process than, than before. We have, uh, our local chapter of the Pink Boot Society, right. which is sort of a nationwide advocacy and educational group. Um, they've done a great job. Uh, and there are a lot more women going through the CNM program now that we have that. Um, you know, where it's, it's almost, uh, I'd say, I'm, I don't know what class this was, but there was a class recently where it was 50-50.
0: So wait, hang on just a second. I want, CNM is the community college in, yeah. I don't, I can't, re- what, is, what is, is that central New Mexico? I can't remember. what.
1: Yeah, central, central New Mexico.
0: And and they offer classes?
1: Oh yeah, they, they have a whole, they have a whole Marine program. They actually have hired Antonio Fernandez, who won back to, who did almost impossible feat. He won back to back gold medals. At the Great American Beer Festival in the World Beer Cup wow. for his Italian pilsner. You know, same beer, two golds in a row. Um, and, and he's a fantastic brewer, he's a great communicator, he's he's very he's exactly the kind of guy you look at and you're like, Man, I wish I had a teacher like him, you know, <laughs> when you were growing up or something, or a professor like him in college. And so now he's running their brewing program. So that they've actually built a whole new building there um on the CNM campus and the main campus on on uh, university and they have a, they have multiple functional brew houses inside now um i'm not sure if they've fired it all up you know this has all come together pretty recently but yeah they basically the students get hands-on experience learning how to brew and stuff they'll, they'll still go to breweries too with a you know have a day with a different brewer and wow. hear a different perspective but yeah essentially we we now have a much like the isotopes of the farm team for the Rockies, we now, CNM is now the farm team for breweries where they can actually hire people who've had hands-on experience. You know, it's not like back in the day where, well, oh, yeah, I home brewed in my garage. You know, nowadays it's like, no, I've actually practiced on a, you know, this five barrel system, 10 barrel system. So um, it's, it's a huge advantage now for our breweries to actually have, have people going through that. And um, you're starting to see more and more of these uh, newer employees where it's just like, yeah yeah i, I went to C n m and you're like cool you know it's it, it's it's just a really neat thing that started developed over the last last few years
0: well and i I think about you know I'm from a small town over near Teoku I'm from Logan and I just think about you know some somebody you know just out of high school who doesn't you know everybody doesn't have to go to college, but that seems like a great idea go go to what do they call this
1: uh it's, it's literally, i think they just call it like the school brewing program at at CNM. Um and, and they're actually going to try to expand it now too and include uh winemaking and distilling. Since we have, you know, we've obviously we had a lot of wineries for a long time and then, you know, in the last 10 years or so we've had the rise of local craft distilleries too. So
0: Well, and then yeah. and then we recently had a change in the alcohol laws which made everybody's life better, I think. I mean,
1: yeah, I would say to a degree yeah, the reciprocity laws um they'd existed between breweries and wineries for a while. Uh, which is why like breweries could carry ciders made by wineries and they'd carry some wine and stuff and you go to a winery and they'd have like a couple beer taps. But yeah, uh, distilleries got added to that too. So now you can get a, you basically pay for like an X, like an extra license and um, that gives you the ability to uh, carry New Mexico made spirits. You can't carry like Jack sure. Daniels and stuff without still paying way, way more, but you can carry um you know left turn distilling or uh say you know safe houses stuff or vara or you know and, and, and pretty much any any distillery in new mexico and now we've actually got of course some breweries that have added distilling to their own elements you know tractor brewing has troubled minds distilling um is its its own uh, in-house distillery so it's it's been it's been a very interesting evolution and it's certainly beneficial for the people you know we all have a couple of friends who probably don't like beer or maybe they've got, you know, a, uh, a gluten issue where they can't drink beer and it's, it's nice for them to have that. Okay. Uh, you grab a, you grab a beer and I'll grab a Moscow mule, you know, that kind of, that kind of situation. So, yeah, like so it's, uh, it's, it's been an, it's been a nice development. And I think it, it's financially, it's helped the breweries coming out of, uh, coming out of COVID, but, um, there's still a few that don't really want to bring that into there. You know, a few brewery owners just tell me like, we're not a bar. We don't want to be a bar. And, you know, you, you'll see it at some places where like a line will form all of a sudden because there's a bunch of people who want cocktails. And um, which is why I think right now places like Little Toe Creek and Safe House are making those, you know, the canned cocktails. Right. Where the, all, all they do is they pour it in a glass over some ice. Here you go. And that, that's, that can kind of keep, the speed of things going. So, I got to tell you, I love Little Toad Creek.
0: We just we ran into we went to Silver City for something else and and spent like two evenings there because it was it's so much fun. So it's not just it's not just the beer; it's the atmosphere of the brewery itself. So,
1: yeah, I and mean, I think that's been a huge thing for people. The atmosphere of places is is big. Um, you know, and we've always said if if the if the brewing breweries didn't have Good people, running them and and working there and everything else, we would have you know we'd have been like, why are we doing this? Why, why are we wasting our spare time doing this? this what we know we can drink, but why, why are we taking the time out to go interview people? So, you know, I think that's that's been a really nice thing about it too is uh, the, the breweries by and large are really just owned and staffed by just, just some of the best people you're going to meet in the state, and I think that welcoming environment that positive atmosphere is another attraction for people you know they didn't want to go to the crummy dive bars anymore they didn't want to go to bouncy clubs and everything and i think as you know for all of us as we've gotten older you know i i started this thing in my 30s and you know i'm 44 now and i i I can't go to bars anymore it's just like i this is not my scene you know and i I much prefer just kicking back on a patio with a you know with a nice pilsner and. Watching the clouds roll by, I'm, I'm I'm old and boring like that now. But I've got my secondary homes all over the country when when it comes to that sort of thing. So it's a it's it's a nice evolution of the the socialization aspect of life too. So
0: so so what's coming up? I I think um, is is Winter Brew.
1: What yes. What are of the yeah, Brews
0: that people don't want to miss?
1: Uh so Winter Brew is the next one. That one is on uh, January twentieth. So it's a Friday night in Santa Fe. Um, it's at the uh, the farmer's market at the rail yards. So you can take, if you want, hop on the rail runner. Um, you'll miss maybe the first hour or so, but, you know, that's probably, you know, you not drinking too much. Because the thing about winter brew is those are big winter beers. Those are barley wines and pure stouts. You can, you, can and, you know, you're an extra thousand feet in elevation. So, yeah, winter brew can hit you hard. So it's okay to take that extra hour, take the train up. And then the train leaves from uh, the rail yard right as it's ending. They basically will end it and just say like, hey, if you're catching the train, head on out there. Um, so that's really convenient. Uh, it, it's a great event. It gives a lot of the northern New Mexico breweries a chance to showcase themselves alongside the Albuquerque breweries. Um, you know, it, it's we had to do it last year outside because they're still a little worried about COVID. We did it at, at Santa Fe Brewing's uh, at the bridge. The, the music venue has a huge patio out front um but yeah so this will be the first time back in the farmers market since um january 2020 wow you know before COVID. Wow, and so it, it it's it's a lot of fun it's one of our favorites uh after that i think the next one oh um uh, the brewer's guild well we'll have to see We've we've changed executive directors again at the guild um uh, Ebby, Edmondson from, uh, Rally Farmhouse Sales. She's, she's been their, their bar manager for years. She's taking over as executive director now. Um, but I think it's still on, on the calendar, no date listed yet. Uh, it used to be in February, then they switched it to March is the stout invitational. So it's sort of like a mini IPA challenge. Um, just a single tray of stouts and you get to sample them all. They're numbered and pick your favorite um it's sort of a no holds barred thing too you can have imperial stouts you can have like peanut butter stouts and coffee stouts and you know anything you can think of can, can be on that tray um which was funny because last year lacumbre won just by submitting regular multi-stout their year-round <laughs> yeah. beer yeah and uh so that that one takes place in, in los alamos at bathtub River Brewery, um which greatly expanded their outdoor seating area so but they still do it in like three sessions you know there's Just to give people enough time and space. Um, So, we'll, we'll, you know, when the guild tells us when that when they pick a weekend for that one, that's usually a Saturday event. That one's coming up. Um, I don't. uh, There's there's nothing else like set on the calendar yet, as as far as like big spring events. You know, it usually takes kind of a while for us to get to you know summer season, which usually kicks off with Albuquerque Beer Week at the end of May.
0: Well, um, and uh, and folks can find out about what's coming up just by checking your site, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We 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 keep track of every big event like that because you know that's just the, you know that that that's almost the easiest who what when where why how much kind of story we can write um, just with these events, and we we do our best to get all the breweries to you know Psst, what are you pouring because <laughs> I. I I just want to know cuz you know I want to know like I'm going to go if there's 20 breweries there I'm like I'm going to go around what are the you know what are the 10 beers I have to try so um we we got that stuff coming up um I know for the brewers the uh, World Beer Cup is in, and uh the Craft Brewers Conference those happen together uh that'll be in Nashville this year so they're already talking up all the hot chicken they're going to go eat <laughs> um that one moves around great American beer festival, which is the big fall event. That one's always in Denver. Um, so that, that'll be, it's usually the first weekend of October this year, it's going to be in September. Um, I don't know why, I guess there's some other event happening in Denver. And, uh, so that'll be September and then, yeah. And then we'll just, we'll kind of see, you know, we had some new beer festivals come in last year. Um, I don't know which ones will be back or not between the great New Mexico beer festival we had like the Enchantment Festival. We had the Brewers and Distillers Cup, which is a brewery fest slash soccer tournament where the breweries created soccer teams and, and played. A few of our friends actually suited up for Quarter Celtic. Wow. <laughs> and, and competed for them. Yeah. They, they play like in these adult soccer leagues. Um, got that kind of stuff coming up. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's all kinds of fun things that'll happen and, you know, and and I like how breweries have become kind of gathering points for other big events. You know, we all watched the World Cup final at uh, Gravity Bound. So that was that was uh, you know sort of a fun way just to hang out with a whole bunch of people and find out that everyone was rooting for Argentina. Because I guess we all were all, you know, Messi fans. Um, but, yeah, you know, there there's always going to be a bunch of things coming up and the breweries themselves, you know, they're really kind of getting back into the, the groove of having their own fun events. Um, that come by on an annual basis. Uh, Tractor really went all out again this year for the Stranger Things Arcade Carnival during Halloween. Uh, I know Canteen's already told me they're going to bring back the Drink Beer Save Turtles (laughs) event, which is an event to help people raise funds to protect endangered turtles across the country. Uh, My mom's Rio Grande Turtle and Tortoise Club was actually there. People were like, that's your mom? I'm like, that's my mom. (laughs) So... Um, yeah, there was a, there's, there's, there's a lot of cool things always happening. And, uh, you know, with, with the brewery's help, we, uh, will always have, uh, you know, kind of that concise, you know, here's what's going on this week. And then, you know, individual story breakouts and and those sorts of things. And we've actually got our, um, I finally, I think I, I finally got everybody who's going to do it, got their, uh, picks for like favorite beer, favorite festival, favorite, you know, weird moment of the year kind of stuff, favorite beer trip, the trip they want to take in 2023. Uh, we're going to have that story run tomorrow.
0: Oh, and, cool. And, uh, Cause that's what I was going to ask yeah. you. I was going to say like, what, yeah. what are the top picks? But, but instead I want people to go to, to, to your website and sign, obviously they yeah. can subscribe, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a, there's a little subscription button, um, you know, and you can follow us on, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter—we'll uh, we'll post updates there. Fa- Facebook tends to be the most—what uh, do I want to say? Re- uh, like publicly responsive one. I don't know. New Mexicans are really into Facebook. I've talked to beer writers in the East Coast—they're like, "No, it's all Twitter." I'm like, "It's not here." No. Yeah, you know, all we have to look at is like our little stat thing, and it just says like, "Where do your readers come from?" One, the site. Two facebook yeah. and like it's always been that way but um yeah you know we we, we do our best to uh, to like the breweries utilize social media keep people up to date and um you know because we want to know these things too so we figure uh, so do the rest of you and it's a lot of fun when we all get to kind of do it together and hang out and have some delicious beer
0: so Chris this is usually right at the end I always say to I usually ask people well, what do you love best about New Mexico and it's always fun to talk to somebody who grew up here but I think you just told us I mean I um <laughs> I I think we yeah. know what you love best about New Mexico but go ahead and tell us well, I
1: I love the creative spirit and and you know breweries aren't just creative in the sense of the beers they make they're not just creative in their decor They're creative in these events. They're creative in the fact that other creatives come there. I mean, you think about what breweries have become. For local musicians, without breweries, they would have, you know, a half dozen venues. But with breweries, they've got like uh, 30, 40, 50 around the state. Local artists don't, you know, well, who's going to go to a gallery? I don't know, but I hung up my art at this brewery and people bought my art. People want to see the art. You know, you you think of just all these different things, you know, um, to, uh, tonight, actually, I think, is uh tractor's um, poetry and beer night. Poets get to come hang out at Tractor. You know, we've, we've had our poet laureates here in Albuquerque. They go perform at Tractor. And you just think about it over and over again. Breweries have become these creative hubs for, for people beyond just the those that make the beer. And... I think it's a wonderful expression of all things local in our state. And every time there's a local market and it's just all these local vendors and artists and creators, and they've all come together at these places. And I think it, it hammers home the, you know, the support local. I think more than, more than almost anything else we can do short of the farmers markets. This is the breweries have become the local hub and it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. And, um, it just reminds us that through all the, and I work at a TV station now, so I hear all about the bad parts of our state, but I think in, in a weird way, the breweries have become an example of what's good here. And, um, I, I just, I just love that they bring people together and, you know, just say, Hey, you know, life's short. Let's have some fun. Let's, let's have some fun. Let's smile and laugh and dance and sing and, and be creative. and um you know let's let's just give everybody that little second home that doesn't require you to become falling down drunk to enjoy it and and that's that's kind of the beautiful part of it
0: wow chris i don't i don't have anything to add to that that i i love that and thank you for being here um i'm 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 gonna become a follower thank you so much thank you by my